Revelation, the 21st chapter, if you would look in your Bible as I read along. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be there any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth of it and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine on it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life.
oh, after that I feel like I should sit down. <laughs> I mean, what, what can you say? What can you say? If you turn to Revelation 7, chapter 7, please. Something very similar, beginning in verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Very similar language describing the very same thing. Um, We get a great deal of instruction here, of assurance, about comfort, about our eternal destiny. It's hard for us to imagine it now, uh, but this is talking about us, God's people, and what's going to happen to us uh, uh, forever, where we'll live forever, and what's what what our future will be. And it also serves as a chilling warning to the unbeliever, to the reprobate, to the person who rejects Christ, the person who does not believe. Uh, last time we looked at reincarnation in the, in the idea of, of, of uh, hundreds of millions of people believe in it, but we know that the Bible flatly denies uh, reincarnation. Uh, it's given to man once to die uh, and then uh, judgment. We looked at the questions of why a good God would permit death uh, in his creation. We looked at where death comes from, uh, why even Christians who have their sins forgiven in Christ still have to die physically. Uh, We said that there are uh, several kinds of death. There's the physical death of the body that everyone uh, will go through. Uh, And there's uh, spiritual death, which is this death of the soul that is not redeemed by Christ. And, and, there's, uh, and there's soul separation, punishment, hell forever, the second death. Uh, now, there are people who are still walking around today who are dead spiritually, uh, and of course there are people in hell who are dead, and eventually they'll be in the lake of fire. We know that death is the result of sin, namely the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, but death is also a blessing. It's the doorway to being with Christ, uh, as we talked about. So that way God takes death and makes it a blessing. Uh, The Bible teaches that death is the separation. Physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. In Ecclesiastes, even in the Old Testament, we know that. Ecclesiastes 12.7, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. That's not New Testament teaching. That's Ecclesiastes. Uh, James 2.26, the body without the spirit is dead. So a dead body is just an empty shell cast off because the person who used to be inside that body no longer needs it. When we talk about a person, we're talking about a soul, personality, a sense of humor, intelligence, whatever it might be. Uh, The Bible also teaches that death is the beginning of a new life for the soul. So the new life 
for the redeemed is one of unimaginable uh, blessings. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, the Apostle writes, Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, it hasn't even occurred to us the things which God has prepared for, for them that love him. But death may be also a beginning of a new life of unimaginable horror. Uh, for example, in Revelation 14, uh, he shall be tormented, the unsaved, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, the words of Jesus Christ on that. Now, which kind of new life you have, of course, is entirely determined by one thing in this present life. And that is, it says in Romans uh, 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, uh, you will be saved. Uh, Now, a lot of people believe that when you die, uh, you're like a light bulb uh, that snaps off. You just go out of existence, uh, and that's it. Uh, And that's called annihilationism. You're annihilated. Annihilationism. Uh, Your soul is supposedly annihilated when you die. Uh, Many people believe that. I have close relatives that believe that. And you probably do too. Now that's contrary to every teaching in the Bible about death. Uh, It's based on wishful thinking. I mean, if in this life this is all there is and there's no heaven and no hell, there's no judgment... No final judgment for your soul for anything you do in life. Wow, what a ticket. Just do whatever you want, right? So it's really a selfish idea, this annihilationism. It's, well, I want to do whatever I want, and that's what's behind it. Annihilationism is atheism. It just denies that there's a God who requires anything of us. It denies there's anything like hell. Uh, So we don't need Jesus Christ, do we, to die for our sins if there's no hell and no punishment, no afterlife. Uh, so it's really satanic. It's a satanic teaching. Uh, for a Christian, that's pretty easy to understand. What may be hard to accept is that annihilationism, or at least a form of it, is gaining ground in the evangelical church. You would be surprised. Satan likes to do all sorts of things to the church. Christianity Today reported on a conference of 350 evangelical leaders, which was held at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Uh, in Highland Park, Deerfield. Deerfield. Uh, And in the article it said, quote, strong disagreements did surface over the position of annihilationism, a view that holds that in this case unsaved souls will cease to exist after death. The conference was most almost evenly divided. Uh, How many of you know the name Clark Pinnock? Clark Pinnock, some of you some of you know Clark Pinnock who he is? He's a prolific evangelical author. He's a former professor at Trinity Divinity School, among other schools. Uh, In an article in uh, the spring 1990 issue of the uh, Criswell Theological Review, Clark Pinnock denied the existence of a hell that lasts forever. Uh, He wrote, quote, How can Christians possibly project a deity of such cruelty and vindictiveness whose ways include inflicting everlasting torture on his creatures, however sinful they may have been. Surely a God who would do such a thing is more nearly like Satan than like 
God, at least by any ordinary moral standards, and by the gospel itself. It's Clark Pinnock. Yeah. So based on his own statement, he's denying Scripture, and he's putting his own moral standards above God's law. The bottom line, he says, at least by any ordinary moral standards, this is wrong. In other words, my standards, it's wrong. Whose moral standards? Clark Pinnock's moral standards. The fallen human standards of Clark Pinnock. But God's ways are higher than our ways, as Scripture says. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can't put our own ideas of justice on God. Say, well, that's not fair of God. Because that's saying you know better than God. So, in other words, you're saying you are God. Or a God. And you're higher than God of the Bible. You really want to be saying that? Would you like to say that, explain that to God when you die as to why you said that? And isn't that exactly what the serpent said would happen to Adam and Eve when they sinned? Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Actually, the translation should be God. Ye shall be as God, knowing good and evil. Determining good and evil for yourself. Not allowing God to do it. Well, this book has a lot of stuff. I'm just, you know, there's, no, there's no afterlife, so I don't have to worry about it. Clark Pinnock is in agreement with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Herbert W. Armstrong's Worldwide Church of God, Christian Science, they all teach the same thing. Mormonism teaches the same thing. It comes out of the pit of hell and the New Age movement. Another name I'm going to throw out to you, how many know the name John Stott? John Stott, quite well-known evangelical author. Um, When I first joined a Reformed church, I joined the Presbyterian Church in America, and uh, one of the elders gave me, the first thing he did was give me a book by John Stott called uh, Basic Christianity. Uh, John Stott is one of the most admired evangelical leaders in the world. Um, a lot of, uh, he's one, in uh, the year 2005, John Stott was named by Time Magazine as, as in the 100 most influential people in the world. Uh, he's an editor of Christianity Today magazine. Uh, he's been knighted by Queen Elizabeth. Uh, he's a... Uh, he was a Bible study teacher to President George W. Bush. So the guy has credentials. He was called by Billy Graham the most respected clergyman in the world today. This is the same John Stott who wrote in his book Evangelical Essentials, quote, The ultimate annihilation of the wicked should at least be accepted as a legitimate, biblically founded alternative to their eternal conscious torment. Let me read that again. John Stott, quote, The ultimate annihilation of the wicked should at least be accepted as a legitimate, biblically founded alternative to their eternal conscious torment. So he says, now he's, he's well, to be fair, to be accepted as a legitimate alternative to their eternal conscious torment. So at the very least, he's questioning hell as, 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 long, as lasting forever. He doesn't, doesn't that say he doesn't believe Jesus Christ's statements about hell? Uh, the smoke of their torment will arise forever and ever, Christ said. Uh, so, that same John Stott wrote uh, in his book, The Cross of Christ, quote, Nor as we have seen, has Christ by his sacrifice prevailed upon God to pardon us. Get the book and read it. What's that? Nor, have, as we have seen, has Christ by his sacrifice prevailed upon God to pardon us. Well, isn't that the central teaching of Christianity? 
Now, I'm not trying to, uh, the reason I'm citing this on Scott and Sot and Pinnock, I'm not making a personal attack on them. I sincerely hope God has saved them. I quote them to demonstrate that annihilationism, like so many other satanic doctrines, has infiltrated the evangelical church at the highest levels. And my point is, be warned, be on your guard. Pick up the sword of the Spirit. Just because if John Stott says something, or a Clark Pinnock said something, or you know whoever says any something, uh, I say something, you know whoever it might be, you know be a Berean, go to the Scriptures. I mean, if, if Paul commended them, and he was an apostle, and Paul commended them from going to the Scriptures to see what he said was true, how much more so should you with any Amen. fallible man? We have seen that death means the separation of the soul and spirit from the body. Let's get away from Pinnock and all that. What happens next? What happens after you, when you die? A lot of people think it's like going to sleep and waking up at some other point, such as the resurrection on the last day. That's called, you probably know that term, soul sleep. Uh, it's Anabaptists, the great enemies of Calvin, believe in soul sleep in the 1500s. Today, Seventh-day Adventists believe in soul sleep. Uh, as a cult called the Christadelphians, they also believe in it. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in soul sleep. Actually, uh, actually, their teaching on it is closer to annihilationism since my understanding of Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe the soul is extinguished at death and on the last day God creates a brand new soul for you, a carbon copy of the one that died. So it's more, more of an annihilation. So if a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, a good question to ask him is to explain from the Bible what happens to a person after death. Go through the Bible with him, ask him to explain what happens to a person after death. Maybe that would force him to see that what their cult teaches is not found in God's Word. Uh, that's even better than what I probably told you about a friend of mine who, uh, uh, if, it, if he sees it, just, you know, you can always tell the Jehovah's Witnesses at the door. They're all dressed dressed up, and they're they're usually with two women often, or a man and a woman. I don't remember, but it's been a while since so I live out in the country. I one of the blessings. <laughs> I have a gate, so I don't have to worry about that. But, uh, but anyway, when he sees the Jehovah's Witnesses come to the door, he grabs his kids and gets his wife's lipstick and writes 666 on their forehead and has them answer the door, and that takes care of the Jehovah's Witness. If you want to know more about the evangelical annihilation movement, uh, there's a book called Eternal Eternal Christianity. Uh, Jim Cronfell, who visited our church a few years ago, if you remember Jim, uh, wrote a book called Eternal Christianity, and you can get that at Amazon.com. Well, let's see. Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, chapter chapter 5, verse 1, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. So if it be... So if so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we will be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. 
Now he that hath wrought us for the same self thing is God, who also has given us the the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. So the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul says, If our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So what happens is it's not soul sleep, it's not a period of unconsciousness when you die and then you wake up in heaven or you wake up on the last day. You close your eyes to this world, you open them in the next. No break in consciousness, I believe. Uh, If we're Christians, we open them with Jesus Christ. Now, the rest of what I read applies obviously only to the believer in Christ. So the best we can say here is that uh, there appears to be no break in self-consciousness when a believer dies. One moment on earth with the Lord the next. Another another verse that testifies to this uh, is Luke 23, 43. Jesus said to the repentant thief on the cross, Today shalt thou be be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So the very day of his death, Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, you will hear Jehovah's Witnesses again, uh, and some other advocates of soul sleep or conditional immorality, immor- <laughs> conditional immortality, or whatever they call it. Uh, they, they put a comma there. Je- oh no, no, no! Jesus said, "Today, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise." In other words, well, I'm talking to you today, just so he wouldn't be confused that. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you tomorrow or yesterday. I'm talking to you today. And is that? Yeah, that's where they tried to twist it. Well, it's obviously ridiculous. Uh, no, Jesus said, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." Very plain. The day he was with of his death, he was with Jesus in paradise. By the way, the thief on the cross was never baptized, was he? He was never uh, never went to church. Uh, he never probably didn't do very many good works. He was a thief, and he was being executed. So he did no good works. Uh, yet the Lord Jesus Christ, we know, saved him. There's no question about that. Well, it's something to ponder, isn't it? These passages I've read teach that if you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, that means your soul was cleansed by him. We read in Revelation 7, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and you're with him. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 37, asks, What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? And the answer is, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves until the resurrection. The souls of believers at their death made perfect in holiness so we can go be with Christ. Our perfection comes with Christ, from Christ, from his, from his perfection. Please let's look at 1 Thessalonians uh, 4. Beginning in, let's see, verse 13. Ah. But I would not, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. 
but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, meaning physically dead here, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Sleep in Jesus is, don't get confused by that word sleep. It appears, and we'll talk about this in a minute, it just appears as though we're, you know, a dead body looks like it's sleeping. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about the state of the soul. So this, the, now that passage teaches us a lot. Uh, what I want to focus on now is verse 16 regarding the resurrection of the dead. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, obviously, that happens when Jesus returns at the end of time. Until that time, the dead are asleep in Jesus. Now, we have the Jehovah's Witnesses again, and those who believe in soul sleep say, oh, it says they're asleep. Right there, there's a word, it says they're asleep. Um, well, there's several Greek words translated in our English Bible as the word sleep in the New Testament. This one is koimao, and it is often used as a metaphor for death. Same word that's found in the Gospel of John. If you look there, chapter 11. In chapter John, in John 11, beginning with verse 11, this is about Lazarus dying. These things said he, and after that he saith, Jesus saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit, Jesus spoke of his death. Now the disciples were saying, well, if he's sick, he needs to sleep, and he'll, you know, that's a good idea. Uh, they thought he was talking about him being asleep. Howbeit, in verse 13, Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Jesus says, Lazarus is asleep, and I'll wake him out of sleep. And his disciples thought he meant that Lazarus was sleeping. He was sick, not dead. And he said, well, if he's sick, sleeping is a good thing for him. So Jesus makes it clear that when he uses koimao, he means death. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So don't let anybody get away with using that passage is some sort of proof text for soul sleep. Uh, the one out of Thessalonians. Um, now this passage in 1 Thessalonians we read a few moments ago speaks of a future resurrection. The dead coming alive again. It specifically speaks of those who died in Jesus, believing in Jesus as their Savior. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 15 beginning in verse 35. Now, I'm going to read the New King James Version here. It's still translated from the received text. I think it's a little more clear to our modern... This particular passage is a little more clear to our modern ears. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 35. But 
someone will say, how are the dead raised up and what, with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corruption, incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I've read that in regular King James many, many times, and I thought King James was quite interesting. There's a lot in those verses. Let's focus on one. The fact there will be a resurrection, that we'll be given new bodies, it will be on the last day, what the Bible calls the last trumpet in verse 52. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Since the resurrection is in the future on the last day, what does that tell us about the state of believers whose bodies are dead now? They are alive. See, we've already seen the Bible teaches that. There's no soul sleep, there's no annihilation, their bodies are in the ground. Where are their souls? The answer is found in 2 Corinthians 5.8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And in Luke 23, when Jesus said to the believing thief on the cross, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Today. Those who die believing in Christ are with him now, but they're with him in their soul only. They don't yet have their new incorruptible resurrection body. The body that they're going to get if we are uh, on the, uh, at the final resurrection. So this is what John means in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We'll have our resurrection bodies. 
And Christ has his resurrection body, his glorified body. So it says, we shall be like him. See, the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven with his resurrection body. He didn't put it off. First chapter of Acts testifies to that. His followers will also receive their resurrection body in the last day. Right now the souls are with him in heaven. But you know, heaven is not permanent. It's a temporary place. Uh, a lot of Christians think that when a believer dies, they go directly to heaven and they're there forever. But it's important to understand God's word says, no, they're not there forever. If we belong to Christ when we die, yes, we go to heaven. We're with Jesus in paradise, but that's temporary. It's theologically called the intermediate state. When we are in our spirit or our soul, but without a body. It's not the normal condition for us. We're supposed to be a soul and a body. But it's not the final state. And the last day when Jesus returns to earth, believers will receive their glorified bodies, their physical resurrected bodies. That's the condition in which believers in Christ will live forever with the Lord. This is how the Westminster Shorter Catechism explains that. It says the souls of believers are at their death. We read that a little earlier, but I want to reemphasize it. They're at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves until the resurrection. So our text in Revelation 7 tells us something about what the saints in heaven are doing right now. All those people that we've known, all those people who've died in Christ, what they're doing right now. We, we read it before. They are before the throne of God, quote, and serve him day and night in this temple. They're conscious. They're aware of their surroundings. In fact, their senses are heightened to a far, uh, far greater degree than they've ever known. Any physical ailment, any handicap that they had is gone. They're completely happy, a happiness no one on earth has ever known. The mind, the mind is immortal. It's part of the part of your. It is your part of your soul. Uh, we don't we don't lose that at death. Uh, we don't lose our knowledge. Uh, we don't lose our mental abilities. I don't think we lose our memories. They're perfected. Our souls are perfected. Westminster Shorter Catechism again. The souls of believers are at the death, their death made perfect in holiness. Uh, remember in Revelation, the saints are—I can't remember which chapter—but the saints are saying to God, "When will you? Uh, they're, 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 when will you take vengeance on our enemies?" What does that tell you? That tells you that they knew it hadn't happened yet. They're aware of what was going on on earth. And what, what, and what the Lord planned on doing, but it hadn't happened yet. They remembered their, their enemies. They're asking, Lord, why don't you please do this? So they're aware of what's going on on earth. That's an indication. It's a little lifting of the curtain. There. We don't get that much, but there's a little one. Now, we don't become all-knowing, of course, when we die, because obviously only God is omniscient. But since the mind is no longer weighted down with the baggage of the body, which causes us to be tired, causes us to be sick, causes other problems... The soul is no longer saddled with the effects of sin which are in the body, the temptations, the corruption we have. Uh, we're no longer dragging around this dying carcass with us. Uh, the saints in heaven find they're more alert, both mentally and spiritually, than they've ever been. And I believe, as I said, that they're aware of what's happening on earth, and I think the Bible teaches that. But... So meditate on that. Those who you love, who have died in Christ, 
They're with him now. It's perfectly right to grieve at our losses. We're not to grieve like the unbelievers do, who have no hope in 1 Thessalonians 4. See, we know where our loved ones are who have died in Christ. We know that they're not dead. Only their bodies have died. They're still alive. They can never die. The person they were can never die. But they'll be perfected in holiness, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. Remember when Jesus appeared in his resurrected body to the disciples and said, I'm not a ghost. He says, Touch me, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like I do. And he says, he makes an amazing statement right there. It's in Luke 24, 39, he says, It is I myself. I myself. After he had died and been resurrected, they said, Oh, it's a ghost. I said, Oh, it's me. It's me. I'm Jesus. I'm the, man, I'm the Jesus you knew. He died, and yet he said, it's me. So the people we know, the people that we love who died in Christ, they're still themselves. If they could appear to you now, they'd say, hey, it's me. It's I myself. I'm everything I ever was, and much, much more, and without sin. They're still alive. They can never die. We haven't lost them. People talk about, oh, I've lost lost this person. No, we haven't lost them. We just won't see them for a while. It's going to be a fairly short time. They're they're in a place so indescribably joyful that our Lord calls it paradise. We'll be with them and with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to happen sooner than we think. So be prepared. Let's pray. Indeed, Father, prepare us for our deaths. Prepare us for the deaths of our loved ones. For they come, they will come, they have come. And uh, death will come for us as well. Are we prepared? Are we prepared to meet thee, Father? Or are there certain things that we haven't put, certain sins we haven't put away yet? Are there certain things that we have to do for other people? Or things to get our to get ourselves right with thee, Father. I don't know what that may be for those who can hear my voice, Father. But uh, whatever it might be in our hearts, Father, the time is shorter than we think. The time of our death is quicker than we expect. The time of the deaths of our loved ones is quicker than we expect. Prepare us, Father. Lord, uh, let let this be a reminder to us to uh, uh, live our lives as thy children have put away sin from our lives. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our prayer request this morning, Father. Father, we continue to pray for Keith and Rachel and their little little one. Uh, keep that little one healthy and happy. And we ask the same, of course, for Keith and Rachel and the whole family protect them, Father. Uh, We continue to pray for the Evanses and the improvement of their living situation. Uh, We praise uh, for Frank's employment. I ask uh, that uh, his uh, blood pressure be reduced, Father. Uh, Father, we continue to pray for Rodrigo and uh, his protection in a very dangerous country. Uh, For Mary's mother, Bernice, uh, continue to heal her needs, Father. Uh, For the Meatyard family, Father, uh, bless that little family. 
hold them in the palm of your hand, Father. Uh, give them, uh, give them strength, and give them many friends in Christ, Father. Use, use this time to increase their faith, Father. Lord, we continue to pray for all of the people on our prayer request list. Uh, there are too many for us to, to go through one by one today, but uh, we thank Thee particularly for our brothers and sisters at uh, uh, East Texas Reform Fellowship uh, as we have our Fuentes uh, uh, family here with us, our brothers and sisters, uh, to get together. That, uh, we may be given ways to meet and to grow closer, Father. Uh, and give, uh, give them uh, safety in their, in their travels, Lord, as well. And let this time be a joyful time where they they grow in grace. Uh, We continue to pray for rain, Father. We are so very, very dry. Uh, These are record-setting droughts. And, uh, Father, uh, please give us moisture. Uh, We pray for the Lord's Supper coming up, Father, that uh, may prepare our hearts for that. Father, for for all those suffering in Japan, Father, we, we do remember them. And, Father, we know that uh, it is Thy will that uh, that this has happened, that Thou has caused this to happen. But we uh, we also pray, Father, that uh, thy, thy name would be glorified. We we know that uh, that Thou has a great reason for this, that uh, Thy that that uh, Thy name will be glorified, has been, and will be glorified. Uh, but uh, give comfort to uh, those who are suffering, Father. Again, give us safety and travel, Father. Bless our fellowship time, Lord. Let us uh, uh, let us uh, treat each other as uh, bro- as the brothers and sisters in Christ that we are, Father. Uh, for it is in the Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm one nineteen B. Right, if you would come up, please. <clears throat> 